Hi there, and welcome to the Inspiring Music Teachers Podcast, the show where we showcase the stories of musicians, educators, and other creatives who are doing big things to inspire you to find your purpose and pursue your own dreams, whatever they are. I'm your host, Jessica Dutton. I'm a music teacher, studio owner, mom of three, and professional pep talker. I've been teaching music in various settings for almost two decades. But when I got ready to begin my own entrepreneurial journey, I quickly realized that I was entering an entirely different world that I wasn't quite prepared for. My hope with this podcast is to shine a light on stories of inspiring music teachers who are using their skills and talents in unique ways. We'll hear about their professional journeys, learn from their experience, and discover practical tips for developing your passion into your profession to help you realize that anything is possible. We've been on a bit of a hiatus as I've been uh, transitioning to life with a now mobile infant. She had just been born about the uh, spring right before we started this podcast, and um, she's 10 months now, so she is getting into a lot of trouble. (laughs) We have three kids who are um, pretty close in age, but it still always seems to be a shock when they go from, uh, you know, sweet, sleepy newborns, lots of naps, not a lot of interest in the world around them, to uh, curious and uh, speedy babies who uh, can get into trouble really quickly. So um, she is sweet as can be, but you know, that's kind of just been my focus for right now is, is getting through that transition. And I hope to be back now to our weekly schedule of new episodes because I, I have several that I actually did the interviews for last semester. And, you know, and I really feel kind of selfish not having shared them with you because there was so much great content, uh, a, a really good variety of stories and different paths that uh, that these music educators and um, and other people I've, I spoke with have gone on to um, to reach a, a way to share their creative passions in um, in new and unique ways and uh, a lot of good tips for how they've worked the business side of that to make that functional um, different things that they tried that worked and didn't work and I think there's some really good content in there that you will uh, will benefit from so I hope that you'll be hopefully seeing these episodes coming up weekly on Wednesdays, and um, and be on the lookout for that. On today's episode, my guest is Ellen Allard. Ellen is a musician with a master's degree in education who transitioned from teaching in the classroom to traveling as a performer of children's music and a clinician training educators about music and children. She has been touring and performing for over 30 years and has composed more than 300 songs, including songs for her album, Sing Shalom, Songs for the Jewish Holiday, which was the winner of a Parents' Choice Award. Ellen is known as a performer, speaker, and coach who knows how to connect instantly with her audience, who knows how to get audiences to engage, who inspires people to bring their energy fully to their work, and who uses music and personal stories to inspire people to love life and love being in community with others. Please welcome to the show. Ellen Allard. All right, I am here today with our guest, Ellen Allard. And Ellen is a children's songwriter, a performer, a public speaker, a coach. She has all sorts of amazing things. And Ellen, I'm so excited to talk to you today. I am delighted to be here. Well, thank you for joining us. I know that you have done a lot of a, a lot of work in the field of writing children's music, specifically um, Jewish children's music. And your your album, the Sing Shalom Songs for the Jewish Holidays, has won a pretty exciting award. Can you tell me about that? Uh, yes, it won a Parents' Choice Award, and it's been such a long time, and I don't even have the award on my wall yet. So because I moved, 
Um, so I can't tell you the exact one, but I think it was a Parents Choice Recommended Award. And uh, that was back in 1998, I believe. So it's been a while. Uh, I'm very, very proud of that. That recording has kind of an interesting story. Um, I had been teaching music in a a Jewish Community Center, JCC in West Hartford, Connecticut. And there was very little music that I felt was accessible, not only for me to teach, but for, you know, for kids to learn and for other classroom teachers to do. So I started writing my own music and never thinking at the time that I would do much of anything with it, right? I stuck it in a folder, put it in my file cabinet, and literally found it about six years later when I was going through some files. And I looked at those songs and I thought, wow, I, these are these are good. I like these. These are fun to teach when I when I was teaching in that school, uh, and I realized that I had written songs for about seventy five percent of the Jewish holidays that occur over the course of a year. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to just finish the rest of the holidays and then release a recording, thinking it was going to be nothing more than a vanity project, just something I could give to my children. And uh, once word got out that there was a recording of this. Uh, music for all the Jewish holidays for children, I started getting gigs nationally. And it started getting a lot of press. And that was when I knew I was onto something. And that's so exciting. You know, something that you sort of had tucked away in a drawer was Mm -hmm. really, you know, kicked off a lot of exciting things, not just for your career, but I think also for this field of, of Jewish children's music. Yes, absolutely. It really started me on a whole new journey. Mm. And, and to the, you know, and I, there have been so many times when I've made something and I, you know, I've set it aside and come back and looked at it later with different eyes and you see the value of it from a, from a totally different perspective. If you take, take a little time away from it. Absolutely. And I have to say that as a music educator, I have felt um, unprepared and, you know, that there's a lack of resources really for honoring and representing Jewish culture in the music classroom. How has has the music that you've provided changed that a little bit? Uh, well, I my goal is to write songs that are user-friendly mm. so that classroom teachers, whether they're Jewish or coming at it from a, a non-Jewish background but want to teach about the culture, that they can do that with my songs. So what I end up doing is rather than writing a song that is completely in Hebrew, which has its own value in its own place, I write songs that are either completely in English about a topic that's related to Judaism, or I'll write a song that has both Hebrew and English with it, like a sprinkling of Hebrew, just enough that it gets into your mouth as mm. and, and the language becomes familiar. Uh, so that's one was one of my goals to start writing songs that were really accessible. I also love being in community. So I started a Facebook group uh, about two years ago called Ellen's Music Teachers Rock. That's the whole name of it. And I encourage teachers, whether they're Jewish or not, to join my group and to come into the community. And we all are so generous with resources and ideas. And if you have a question or you need a song about anything, you just come into the group and boom, somebody will answer your question. So that's a good resource. You know, the internet has just brought us so so much closer together in terms of sharing resources and supporting each other, Um, you know, just across (laughs) across the world. It's really amazing. I wonder as a non-Jewish music teacher, how I can better represent students in my, in my class. Like, you know, sometimes I feel like, do I have permission to sing this song or to talk about this thing that I'm not necessarily, it's not part of my personal background, but I want to honor my students who are part of that culture. I want to 
educate my students about this, you know, really rich history and culture that they may not know about. Do I have permission to sing your songs in class? Oh, goodness. Absolutely. 100%. Um, And I would suggest that contact someone locally because people, you know, you might find a rabbi or a cantor, someone who does the music at a synagogue or just somebody who's a Jewish um, musician who would love to come in and share songs and share rituals and share culture uh, via music. So absolutely. And, And also, certainly, in my group, Ellen's Music Teachers Rock, people are absolutely welcome to come in and, and say, hey, listen, I, I need to learn how to do this song, but I want to learn more about it. Can I have a conversation mm-hmm. with someone? And people are very willing That's, to share. You know, because I feel like in, in our curriculum books, there was, there was the dreidel song maybe like Oh Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's what you get for the culture. And there's just so much more to it and so much more relevant, I think, things that, that we can pull in it and, and really support. Because I've, I've had students, you know, from, from Jewish culture background and, and in a community where there is not a large Jewish community. And it's such a gift to any student of a diverse culture to let them have their culture represented and have their songs sung and have them get to teach the class a little bit about about themselves. Yes, and uh one of the one of the first things I would suggest is just to do a little bit of teaching, a little bit of learning. Um w- one of the holidays that we are so lucky as Jewish people, as Jews to celebrate every single week is Shabbat. And so we make a really big deal about that. How cool is that that you get to have a celebration mm-hmm. every single week when on Friday when the sun goes down, that's when Shabbat, which is the Hebrew word for the Sabbath, so when Shabbat starts, boom, we have another holiday. So every Friday, sun goes down, we have another holiday. So I've written a lot of songs for that. And one of them is called Wonderful Shabbos Sound. And here's yet another word. Shabbos is the Yiddish word for mm. Shabbat, which is the Hebrew word for Sabbath, right? And Yiddish is a conglomeration of several different languages, um, Hebrew being one of them, right? So the song goes like this. Friday, 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 Friday night, the sun goes down. Friday, 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 Friday night, the sun goes down. What a wonderful Shabbos sound with the singing going round and round on Friday, Friday night when the sun goes down. That's the chorus. Super easy. Easy to add motions to it. You could put your arms above your head. And when you're singing Friday, 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 Friday night, the sun goes down, you could literally have a sun created over your head, right, with your two arms, and then you just bring it down. Then the chorus, the verses, what happens is that you go through the rituals of Shabbat. When Shabbat comes, you light candles, you drink wine or grape juice if you're a child, and you have challah, which is a Jewish braided bread, right? So we'll sing, light the candles, gonna light the light the candles, gonna light the light the candles for the Shabbat, light the candles, gonna light the light the candles, gonna light the light the candles for the Shabbat, and then go back to Friday, Friday, I think I changed key while I was singing this, Friday, 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 Friday night when the sun goes down. Right, and then the next verse is um, pour the wine, pour the wine, gonna pour the pour the wine, and then the third verse is braid the challah, gonna braid the braid the challah, gonna braid the braid the challah. And if you can't say challah because mm-hmm. it's got that in the back of your throat, you can just say you can just say braid the bread or braid the challah, mm-hmm. whatever is good for you. So there's a song where you're having a lot of fun. You're teaching about uh, Shabbos, Shabbat, Sabbath. And you're doing motions with it and getting the kids involved kinesthetically. And they're learning about the culture and the fact that that the holiday happens every week. It's just kind of a cool oh, so win-win. Fun. And so much like joy and energy in that song. Just like, I mean, like I want to get up and dance and sing. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Good. That's my, yeah, then I've done my it, job. You know, and it, it really is a talent to take something that's sort of teaching and didactic, but to make it something that kids relate to and can have fun with it. How do you, uh, you know, like channel those ideas into something that really speaks to kids? I think I have to point to Bach and Mozart mm. and Beethoven <laughs> for that. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy. Um, I'll explain. So I am a trained classical pianist. I started at the age of five and I went to college for it. I was a performance major. I did a whole, you know, senior recital, played all through college uh, and culminated in my senior recital. And I also did a, a degree in music education. And because of my passion for music from the classical era and the Baroque era, I am very focused and I think skilled at recognizing the power of pattern, P-A-T-T-E-R-N, pattern and patterning. So a lot of my songs have a strong component of patterns in them. And those patterns appear in lyrics, those patterns appear in rhythm, those patterns appear in melody and harmony, and just makes it super, super easy to uh, teach the song. And I really would, I I would say that that appears in probably Mm -hmm. all of my songs. And, you know, kids really connect with patterns. That's one thing that I've been emphasizing a lot to my families is that that ability to to recognize and create and recreate mm-hmm. patterns is really essential to music making like it, it's not just a cute song with words that come up again but it's building that idea of mm-hmm. finding and creating patterns that's really all music is mm-hmm. just different combinations of patterns Absolutely. But before I leave this beautiful earth, I hope many, 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 many years from now, I I plan on doing a doctorate. And my focus is going to be on patterning in music and how it really spreads out its tentacles to every area of life. And when I teach my workshops for teachers, or I I lead um, keynotes in large conference settings, I will speak about how music can impact all the areas of development, cognitive, language, social, emotional, physical, and spiritual. And I help them see the power, the potential that music has for helping develop those skills that are so vital to a young child's development. And music is absolutely the perfect vehicle for doing and that. And you know, and it's so much more than just singing songs for fun in class. You know that that's valuable. But it, you know, it's great to help teachers understand that there's a lot going on. I actually did an, an arts integration program with our our symphony this last year. And I had some teachers complain that we were taking time away from the classroom to do these these musical activities. And it kind of blew my mind because when I watch the children doing music, I see all the mental activity that's going into it, all the physical activity, all of the emotional work, you know, and it's just such a huge piece of this puzzle of creating whole human beings who are successful academically and, and socially and it, it, it all happens in music. Like you can, you can work on so many things just through one musical activity. Mm-hmm. When I teach my workshops for teachers, one of the primary things that I communicate to them is the importance of them returning to their communities and making sure that the director of their school, the principal, the director of the early childhood center, the parents that they, and the, the teacher, the classroom teachers, that they understand the power and the potential that music has. And by doing that, by going back and helping all the other adults who are um, in the children's lives, helping them understand about the power that music has, they're going to raise the bar, not only for themselves, and they're going to be seen as, a, you know, they're going to be seen as the person with the authority because they, they're, com- they're going back and saying, yeah, it's fun. The songs are fun. Great. That's the first door we walk through. And guess what? 
there's so much else that we're doing that's helping to support everything that's going on in a child's life, everything that's going on in the classroom. So if you go back to your other adults and you help them understand, go to a teacher's meeting and say, hey, can I have five minutes to just tell you about why I'm doing this song and how it is so helpful for everything else that they're doing in in your classroom? All of a sudden, you're going to be seen as, yes, as the authority. And we really do have to be advocates and, and let people know about that great value that music adds to the curriculum. Now, now you were originally, you, you know, you have a musical background, you taught music in the schools, and you've kind of gone a, a different direction. And I want to talk a little bit about that transition from, from being a teacher to being a performer and a, t- a trainer of teachers and a coach for others. How, how did you get there? Oh, it was quite a lovely journey. And I, I thank you for asking me because it's fun to reflect on it. I started teaching music right out of college. I taught for four years in the public schools as an elementary vocal music teacher. And when I finished that, I was moving coincidentally to Philadelphia. And I decided to get a graduate degree in education and then really a super niche down into early childhood. So I did that, finished graduate school and began teaching in all different kinds of, um, over the course of several years, different early childhood settings. And the minute I was in those positions as a classroom teacher, and they found out about my music background, boom, I became also the music teacher. So from that, I developed a relationship with uh, a few people who were in a woodwind quintet. And they said to me, hey, you know, you really should be a performer. You're so good in the classroom, but you're also so good in front of people. And my first reaction was, huh? what are you talking about? I'm a teacher. And then I ultimately hired one of them to coach me and to help me figure out a business model for taking what I did in the classroom and becoming a performer. So I did that and I began performing in a lot of public settings, libraries, schools, festivals, museums, etc. And uh, over the course of time, I began writing a lot of not only secular songs, but Jewish songs. And I started doing workshops. I was a keynote speaker oftentimes at AEYC conferences. I, I did many, many NAEYC conferences where I did workshops where thousands of teachers would come and hear me speak about music and how important it is in the curriculum. And from that, it just sort of all has spun off all kinds of other interesting pieces of my work. I now travel around the country and abroad doing workshops for teachers on integrating music into the curriculum. I do. I lead worship services in Jewish settings where I go and I do a family service and help people just have fun celebrating life and celebrating our religion, our Judaism. I also coach people because people have contacted me and said, hey, I want to learn how to do what you do. Can I study with you privately? So I have private students. So I can only take a few at a time, but I love doing that. That's a passion of mine. And I also have a, a library of over 300 songs because yeah. I just keep writing them. They just keep coming. And um, so I have uh, many, many recordings and many, many songs that I, um, that I teach when I, when I do my workshops or when I perform. Did I cover all the bases? I think I did. <laughs> I think so. But you know, what, it, what I keep coming back to is, is that it took someone seeing that in you and, and mentioning that to you. To really, I mean, I mean, like maybe you had some of those ideas before, but sometimes we just need to hear it from the outside, you know, like what we're good at or what, what other things we could be doing beyond maybe this little box that we built ourselves into. Yes. Having mentors, mentors, I think is critical and has been critical for me. I can definitely speak to having people over the course of the last 40 years who have really impacted my work. And really, you know, whether they are formal coaches or just mentors in your life, you know, like 
I, the more I've studied people who are successful in whatever their field is, you know, they, they always come back to these, these mentors, coaches, and people who have given them that outside perspective and giving them, you know, part of it's just giving them the life experience that we haven't lived yet. And the people who are successful are the ones who make use of those, that advice and that wisdom and really put it to use. And it sounds like that's something that you've really done in your life. I think I, I, I not, not only do I think I know I have done that, and uh, I think it's important to be humble enough to seek advice and to seek ideas from other people. And then ultimately, somewhere along the line, you know what happens? You learn to trust yourself from mm. all the experiences that happen. This sort of this culmination is this wisdom and this inner trust and this inner guidance that you have for yourself. That's not to say that I still don't have mentors and still don't collaborate with others and listen carefully to what other people tell me and and watch what other people do because I'm a perpetual student. And I also know that I have come to a place in my life where I trust myself. Mm, that's some, and that's a journey. <laughs> it mm -hmm. doesn't happen right away. Mm -hmm. I'd like to take just a moment now and invite you to pop over and join us if you haven't already in our Facebook group. It is the Music Teachers Business Launchpad. Each quarter, I run a masterclass. We have some guests come on and talk to us about uh, typically items related to business or planning, ways that you can use your skills and talents as a music teacher in, uh, in some different ways. And so we'll talk some about the business side of those things. We'll talk about um, ways to market. We'll talk about some options that you have if you are looking to, um, to start a business either as a full-time job um, eventually or as a, a side hustle with what you're currently doing. So this quarter coming up, uh, we are planning on a workshop on passive income ideas. So ways that you can generate income, and this could be, you know, while you're teaching full time or while you're home with kids, um, you know, whatever stage of life you're at, it's always a good idea to have um, some multiple streams of income. So we're going to talk about ways that music teachers uh, can can channel their skills and talents into making that a an option for you. So I hope you'll join us over at the Music Teachers Business Launchpad. That's on Facebook, and we look forward to seeing you there. Now back to our interview. Now you've you're kind of on this other side of the, you know, like you've taught, you've you've got this long list of things that you're doing now. Has it all gone according to plan as you've gotten there? I did not know if you had asked me 40 years ago if I would be doing what I'm doing now. My my parents, may they both rest in peace, both had this idea that I was going to become a concert pianist and that Carnegie Hall was in my future. <laughs> and that's really why they sent me to music school in the in the beginning. That was their first goal, but I was a year into Boston University School for the Arts when I said to myself, "You know what?" I cannot see myself being cooped up in a practice room for eight hours a day. I just couldn't do it. And the only way my parents would allow me to remain in Boston was if I continued to do my piano studies, but also they allowed me then to study music education. So I did both of those. And that's that's kind of where I started. You know, and I, I find... I, and this was true in a lot of ways for me and for a lot of my colleagues that a lot of us went into music education thinking, you know, as the backup plan, because we wanted to be able to do something productive with this, this love and this passion for music. 
And, you know, some of my colleagues have gone on to totally different things. And some of them, you know, have taught because that's sort of where they ended up. And some of them have then taken those ideas and shifted and gone into other musical fields, sort of like, like you've done. And I, I wonder if we do a disservice to music education by, by making it the backup plan, you know, but on the other hand, I feel like the skills that I learned by taking that path prepared me to do some other things that I wanted to do. Yeah. And I think ultimately I'm still, I still consider myself a music educator when I have a, my bio says that I'm a music educator Mm -hmm. because I feel like I educate through music. I could just call myself an educator. I could, but I know that I, I believe that I am a music educator and I value the experience that I had. I could not be who I am today as a performer, as a songwriter, as a music educator, as a coach, as a worship leader, I couldn't do this work if it weren't for the music background that I started at the age of five and continued through not only through college, but, you know, continued through today. I still am learning. Mm, that's so true. And and, and I, I guess, you know, I think when I signed up to be a music educator, I saw that as the ticket into the classroom and not mm-hmm. the wider world of possibilities of ways that I could apply that. Yeah. And then eventually you learn that, hey, wait a minute, I can take it and I can take a fork in the road shows up, you know, and and you go, I think I have the courage and I have the trust in myself to go down that path. And boom, lo and behold, I go down that path. And then you never know what other forks, what other tributaries are going to open up for you. Ultimately, it all started with the music and with with learning to love, be passionate about, have a mission to share music. Mm hmm. And, and it does, you know, it takes a little, I mean, a lot of courage to go a different path than either what you were expecting or what is kind of clearly laid out ahead of you. What did it, I mean, you, you talked about this, this mentor who sort of encouraged you and coached you. I mean, what did you feel when you were going into something new? Well, it's, there's always a little trepidation. And I think that I just have this real grounding and safety and belief that no matter what I do, it's always going to work out. I just, I don't know even that I could point to one person. I think it's really a, a like a, a beautiful cake that's been baked with a lot of ingredients. There are a lot of people that have contributed to that, that state of trust and safety that have given me permission. And I also, I, I have a motto, it, five words that I teach. What else can I do? What else can I do? And that has given me permission to sort of be creative and to, to if I get to a, a place where I have a block, I say to myself, what else can I do? And then I just somehow an answer appears before my eyes. And it might mean that I have to go for a walk. It might mean that I have to take a break for a week or a month. But at some point, the the light shines on whatever it is that I was trying to learn or do or seek. That's so interesting. I have a similar a similar phrase. When I kind of reach a roadblock, I my phrase is there has to be a solution. Mm-hmm. Like I just haven't figured it out yet, right. but there has to be one. Right. And you know, I may I may have to look at it from a different angle. I may have to, you know, get some additional resources or support. But you know, like if I've reached this roadblock, like there is a solution somewhere. Yeah. I just have to I just have to find it. <laughs> and you have to believe that it's there. You just, you know, you mm. have to keep looking under all the rocks until you find the solution. And it oftentimes appears in ways that you're just not necessarily, you would never have thought that it would have come to you in that way. And I think you just have to be open to all the possibilities. Yeah. And I, I I see you now, you know, you were in the classroom, you've written songs, you're performing your songs, you're speaking. Tell me 
I mean, it's so different in a way from being in the classroom. You know, in the classroom, you have that position, you show up, you do your work, you you get your paycheck, right? As an entrepreneur, you have a lot more to juggle outside of just providing the service that you provide. Tell me a little bit about that side of running your own business, being being basically your own brand. That is a work in progress. I, <laughs> I think it always it, is, yeah. <laughs> I've been doing it for many, many years and I continue to learn and I seek advice. My partner is a marketing branding uh, specialist and so I oftentimes will ask him for help and I reach out to other people for help. I now have my own coach uh, my private coach, um, Sue B. Zimmerman, who is, she's actually, her her name is the Instagram expert. And she's not only helping me learn Instagram, but she's also helping coach me and learn how to be, it's to stand in my spotlight, to stand in my authority. So that's something that, I, and you know, some people might say, come on, Ellen, you don't need a coach now. Look at where you are. You're successful. You know, you've reached a certain level of, of, uh, of, expertise in what you do. You have authority. And I have, I am an expert at what I do. I am an authority and I always believe that there's more to learn. So that for me is why I hired a coach. Um, so I will continue to learn the, the experience that I had in the classroom stays with me to this day. And it's been, let's see, I can't do the math in my head, but I will tell you that I taught from 1976 to 19 through for four years. And to this day, I can still feel, I can still smell, I can still sense everything that I learned teaching all those classes uh, in music during that time. I still, it resonates through everything that I do. Yeah. I mean, those experiences never leave you. And and the little faces that, you know, there are still children I remember from mm-hmm. a decade ago in my classes and, and those relationships and their response to music. I mean, it's just so impactful, even if you're not, even when you leave that setting. I think it's, it stays with you wherever you go. It does. And you just said a, a word that's super important for me, and that's relationships. At the end of the day, for me, it's all about relationships. It's all about love. End of the day, I, you know, some people might say, oh, that's so ooey gooey <laughs> and, you know, whatever. And yeah, that's fine. You can say that if you want. But you know what? At the end of the day, it's all about relationships and loving other people. And to, 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 until my last breath is taken... I will continue to build relationships. I will continue to love as much as I can. And I will continue also to acknowledge when I've made an error and seek forgiveness and keep going and keep loving and keep singing and keep building relationships with people. And and I think whether you're working one-on-one or or with a huge audience, that's really what comes across from the stage As, as a performer, as a speaker. That authenticity, you know, that desire to, to love and to, to have this communication and relationship that it's not that you on the stage is not a barrier between you and your audience. And I think that's something that you bring not only, you know, I haven't, I haven't had the privilege to see you perform live, but I have watched you in your IGTV videos and, you know, and we've had these conversations and that desire to connect and that genuine relationship. I, I, it comes across. And I don't know if that's something as a performer that you can create or that you can replicate. You know, is it is it just part of who you are or is it something that you learn to express it to your audience? I think that it comes from a desire to connect. And, you know, I try my very best to not be a diva. I don't want to get up there and go, oh, look at me. Aren't I great? Don't I write great songs? I, I, I don't go there. The door that I walk through is I am so grateful. I stand in gratitude 24-7. I wake up in the morning, gratitude 24-7, and that I am privileged to be able to stand in front of a group of of people 
parents, teachers, adults, children, doesn't matter who it is. The fact that they are giving me their time, I am privileged and I stand in gratitude and do the best I can to connect with love and connect with, I, my vehicle is music and I, I, I try to really be as loving as I can. And I will say to people who are seeking ways to be more impactful with their audiences, whether they're in a classroom setting or a performance setting, is walk onto that stage with love in your heart, love on your lips, love in your heart, in your soul, love in everything that you do. Reach out to the audience purely in love. And that's the best place you can come from. You know, I'm, I'm actually getting ready and right now I'm preparing for my, my first teacher training workshop, like kind of a longer intensive with them. And, and, um, I wonder if, I mean, at this point in your career, you've done, you've, you've done what you, you do repeat, you know, you've done it more than once, so you know, kind of how things go, I'm sure. And you're trying to keep it fresh, but you have sort of a, a plan in mind, but do you feel like an expert now? Did you feel like an expert when you started? How do you get over that? imposter syndrome in what you're doing? It comes with time. It's not something that you can fabricate. It's not something that just happens at the beginning of your career. I think you really have to just put your heart and soul into everything that you do. And at some point, all of a sudden you feel really secure and really confident and you trust. One of the things that my coach Sue has, uh, she just actually posted this on Facebook. It's that it's really important to trust yourself even more than you trust anybody else that what you have to trust and believe in yourself and believe in your mission. And that doesn't happen overnight. It happens with repeated uh, times where you're in front of an audience, no matter if you're teaching or performing or leading a worship service in my case as well. You, it happens enough times where you get that back and forth, that reciprocity from your audience and you go home and you go, yeah, that felt really good. And when that happens enough times, you develop this just sort of um, skin of, I guess, of confidence, and you really feel empowered to continue doing what you do. I'm, I do feel, I will tell you that I do feel like an authority, and I do feel like an expert, and I say that with the utmost of, of humility. I feel constantly empowered, grateful to be in front of people to share this gift that I've been given. Do, do you find that it's different teaching or working with adults than with children? Because not only are you doing the, the children's music leading now, but you're also speaking for and training adults. What, what do you find are some differences in how you approach the adults than the children? With adults, certainly you can speak differently. You know, you have different language, different messages that you're communicating. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I still, I still come at it from this position of, of love right? I love the teachers that come to me. And no matter if I am sitting in front of a group of eight people or 3000 people, it doesn't matter. I still reach out with love and reach out with a desire to help them see how powerful music is. Uh, and I think that's the most important thing is to be a, come at it from a, a loving space. Is there something you feel like is a big light bulb moment when you're talking with teachers. I know if you're, you know, if you're doing like a school teacher training, some of them, they're all going to have very different experiences with music. Is there something that really clicks with them about what role music can play in their classroom? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so one of the workshops that I do that I've been honing for about 20 years or so is a workshop where we focus on music as it relates to, and as it helps support cognitive development, language development, social, emotional, development, 
physical development and spiritual development. And we look at each of those areas. In fact, I'm teaching a college class online through Graz University uh, on this very topic. And what we do is we look at music through the lens of each of these areas. And you can just see right at the beginning when I, I, I always start with cognitive development. And when I help them see how music strengthens and develops and builds cognitive skills, you can just see, you look at, you look at me in the audience and you go, yep, they get it. They, they get it. They, they've now <laughs> swallowed the Kool-Aid, you know, and, and that for me is so gratifying when I, when I know that they get it. Not that I have to blow my own horn, yeah. but that they get it and that they're going to go back to their classrooms, whether they're a classroom teacher or a music teacher. They're going to go return to their programs and they're going to be able to teach music in a totally different way with a totally different motivation. And that, that you, you can't, you can't buy that. That's so yeah. wonderful. Oh, yes. That's, that's, that's exciting. I mean, I remember for me when that light bulb hit of like all the mental activity that's going into a child making music and just like, what a, you know, like what a gift we have to be able to, to use this medium of music to connect emotionally with each other, but then also to like just all that great brain power that's going on in there. I just love it. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if you have any advice for someone who is, you know, a, a musician, a music teacher, they're, they're kind of trying to figure out where their skills and talent fit in the world in, you know, maybe in business, maybe in the community. What advice do you have for them of finding that path for themselves? I think it's important if you're going to be doing music, no matter what, to make sure you are skilled at what you do. You know, I'm wondering whether, you know, I do think this. I think that it's important to be a musician because if you're not a musician, how can you really understand the heart, the soul, the life of a musician and what that looks like? So even if you're going to go into music business management, I think it's important to start as a musician. That's, That's where I would tell people to start. And I would make sure that you rub elbows and hang out with a lot of musicians and go to a lot of concerts and watch a lot of videos. And, and although I would say, make sure you don't just digest digital music, make sure you go to live concerts, because there's nothing that can replace the live experience of music, right? Uh, And I would say, talk to people, call people, direct message them on Instagram, message them on Facebook, Reach out to your colleagues, to people who you went to music school with, and just constantly surround yourself with people who you know are going to support your endeavors and help you build build your mission. That's so important. I, I mean, the community you surround yourself with, and and I found more, you know, as I've as I've kind of dug in more into the Instagram community and, and just found some like minded people. I feel like it's really elevated my sense of you know, what's possible and what, what I can accomplish and, you know, like cheering for them and what they're doing, but also seeing the possibilities for me and, you know, and what could be ahead in the future. Absolutely. And I, I am really a fan of, I love Facebook and I love Instagram. I just love the, the power that it has, the good power it has to support uh, and nurture community. I do. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Well, and if people want to find you, if they want to learn more about your music, about your coaching, about your speaking, they can find you on Facebook or Instagram at Ellen Allard Music. And then you also have your Facebook group, Ellen's Music Teachers Rock. And we will link all of those in the show notes. And Ellen, if they want to listen to your music, what's the best way to do that? Well, they can go to any streaming platform. Uh, I go to Spotify just to listen to my own when I want to find something quickly. iTunes, 
uh, Amazon Music, all of those. And they can also go to CD Baby and listen. They can also go to CD Baby and purchase either individual tracks or CDs, digital or physical copies. And I also have a, quite a number of songbooks that have the music in. There's a series that I did early in my career called Sing It, Say It, Stamp It, Sway It. And it had, there's three volumes, one, two, and three. And there's about 75 or six songs on a total on the three CDs. And they're all early childhood songs that are great for the preschool classroom. And there's a book that goes with each one that has the music and extended classroom activities and uh, picture book lists of picture books that go with the songs. Um, And all of that can be found, by the way, at my website, ellenallard.com. I have a store. And most importantly, I encourage them to join Ellen's Music Teachers Rock on Facebook. Come find me and follow me on Instagram. Reach out to me in in the DM, direct message me. I love having conversations with people. I am really uh, blessed to be able to do this work and happy to speak with other people or message with them. Oh, well, thank you so much. I mean, this has really just been a gift, some great wisdom, and, uh, and thank you for sharing your experience with us today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure and my privilege to be with you. You asked great questions. Oh, thanks. Well, I'm glad, you know, it, this for the audience to know, it has been a comedy of errors to get this recorded. And Ellen has just <laughs> been so gracious and patient to, uh, to make it happen. So we appreciate it. And, uh, And we look forward to hearing more music from you, too. Sounds good. Thank you, Jessica. 